Welcome to a new episode of the Surprise Multiplayer Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Ozzy Monroe. Today, along with my co-hosts, Jeremy and John, we delve into the importance of putting forth effort, a willingness to learn, and staying inquisitive. We explore how modern society often hides its failures and the impact that has on the personal growth and development of others. As a reminder, we can now be reached for feedback, suggestions, and questions at banterreviewcrew at surprisemultiplayer.com. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hello, welcome back to Surprise Multiplayer. Tonight, John, Ozzy, and I are here, and we're going to talk about something that I'm a little passionate about. Um, it's something that I'm trying to teach my kid, but it's something that I wish I could teach everybody about, which is you can have the greatest ideas, but if you're not willing to do something with them, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how wonderful the idea is. Execution and effort are the cornerstone of anything and the most important part of getting anything done. And so that's what I want to talk about with these guys. So welcome back. And we're going to talk about effort is the only thing that matters. So John, I, I'm going to lead off with you. We all, wait, I wait, think wait. we all kind Before of, you asked John a question. You said, this is what I'm passionate about. I think this, you could probably throw that sentence in front of anything you talk about. You're <laughs> passionate about everything. <laughs> hey, are you it's saying you're a passionate person? Yeah, you are. You are. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm very much very impassioned. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <Opinions>. Again. <laughs> Ooh, I have lots of opinions. <laughs> but so good. But yeah, what about you, John? I mean, we have kids, so does Ozzy. But what are you in the workplace? Like, how do you think about effort versus just the idea versus turning the idea into something? Like, expand on that idea because I know it's something that I think is important to you too. So many layers to that answer. I think I, the way I would start answering that question is it's important as a professional in a workplace to know the amount of how much effort you need to put into a project, how much effort you need to put into personal growth. And when you first start off as, as an employee in it, my opinion, any, any, any profession, you start learning from everyone around you. And I had a I had lucky early in my career that I was at a company, I was with a, a group of uh, people that in an organization that you got in exactly what you got out of it. That isn't always the case. And the interesting thing about, I would say, engineering culture and companies that, that kind of take that ethos and run with it, in, in a lot of cases, startups, in a lot of cases, newer companies that uh, are built on SaaS or technology as kind of a core principle. You get it, you get an organization where you can be innovative and being innovative with technology often means you have to get, go extremely deep on a topic. In my case, in my career, I've, if the one thing that you look through my career is a software developer that I solve uh, business or I solve internal problems by writing software. Each and every time, I would never have called myself an expert in the problem that I was solving. But by the end of it, and generally to this day, I know those topics so deep and I can talk to them because I had to put in the effort to understand it wholly and completely. And that could be a whole bunch of different things. That could be 
reading, that could be understanding history, that could be understanding the mathematics if it's a financial services uh, problem that you're dealing with. But well, you get in what you put you out. Actually, I want to interrupt because I think you expanded on my idea in a direction I didn't even expect at first, and I think it's fantastic. But you were talking about how the effort turns into the turning you into a more valuable person because you actually learn not just the book smarts, but you actually learn what doing means and how the, that changes the outcome. How did you come to that? Where, at what point did that click in your career? When did that set in where you're like, I can't, I've read these wonderful things, but until I actually try them, until I do them, I put that effort in. And when did that transition happen? And what did that do for you? How did it change who you were and how you responded? Interestingly enough, I would say that I first learned that, or learned it, but also uh, started to hone it uh, in college. And it's not when I was doing anything related to technology. I was the I was the editor in chief of my university newspaper, and before I became editor in chief, though, I started off in the newspaper uh, organization first by becoming friends with uh, people that were in the organization, but then eventually joining the organization as a student-run organization at most colleges. And then more and more, I got interested in the, the running, the actual operations of the newspaper and the business and the politics of, of doing that in, at a university and actually having to argue for funding. It turned into running well, a newsroom of 20, 25 or so writers and, and 15 or so uh, photographers and obviously a whole bunch of budget and a whole bunch of other things. And that for me, that turned into understanding that at the beginning, I joined the newspaper because I was new at the university and writing had, has always been something part of my life that I enjoy. And then news obviously is something that you all probably both know, but uh, I carried through forward through the rest the career steps that I've made at some of the companies. But learning that I put the more and more effort I put in and kind of finding as a person who I felt I wanted to, where I wanted to go in my career, eventually led me to being the editor-in-chief and operating the newspaper. And then that led me to, I would say that's the first real managerial job I've had, which of course turned into what I do today. There's a lot between there, but. Oh, of course. What about you, Ozzy? Do you agree? Disagree? Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me effort isn't important. I don't know. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but. You picked the wrong topic for me to disagree with you. You and I disagree <laughs> on probably a bunch of things, but this is not the topic we're going to disagree on, especially since my life experiences, just like John's, have brought me to where I am today. No different from anybody else, but my life experiences has been based on nothing but effort. From when I was a young kid, through high school to going into the Air Force to getting out of the Air Force and then making my way into the workforce and in my current company and sort of moving up the ladder there. That's been nothing but pure effort. And it's one thing that I take pride in. It's one thing that I'm really passionate about, just like you, Jeremy. There's a, there's so many psychological aspects to the amount of effort you put into something, but I think it's very important. It's very important to teach young kids, especially in this day and age. And I, we've talked about this in, in another recording and I, I don't want to drone on about social media because then I become the sort of old Gen Xer that's complaining about Gen X? young kids. Oh, I didn't <laughs> say it. I'm sorry. I, was, uh, okay. I, I think I have the generation, right? If you look at today's society. Everything is so immediate and social media has, has created this 
false sense of successfulness and nobody ever paints the picture of what it takes to get to the point they're at. Nobody posts their failures. Nobody shows that side. Nobody shows the amount of work it goes into making yourself out to be a successful podcast host or an influencer on social media. Nobody shows the dirty side. And it's unfortunate yeah. because young kids today, they think that everything is just add water and mix and very instant and you don't have to put in a lot of effort. One of the things that my wife and I instituted with our girls when they were young was, hey, you have to play a sport every year, a team sport. There's a lot of reasons why I believe team sports are, are vital to young kids. One of the things is you learn how to work with others. You learn leadership. You learn, there are many aspects of team sports that you learn. One of the key aspects that you learn when you're a part of the team is effort. If you're not putting in the effort, then you're letting your team down. And in some scenarios, your team is going to let you know when you're not putting in the effort. So effort is a very pivotal part to life in general, but the older you get is the more important it gets. And to take it to the sort of work side and the career side, I've always been of the mindset, you give me two individuals, two candidates, and you can have one that's an SME, but they've had pretty much everything handed to them because they've always just been super knowledgeable, super smart. It just came natural. And you can give me someone who's not an SME in the area that I'm hiring in, but they show that sort of chutzpah, that effort, right? They have the desire to learn. And I will pick that person every day of the week over the other person. Every time. So it's effort I, is everything to me. I think there's, and I want to come back to an idea that you played on there, but I want to violently agree with you because I'm going to give an story is so somebody that was working for me once it was his third year being promoted. He was his third year excelling at his job and he had come from the physical security space and he moved into a technology team and he never stopped moving up. And it wasn't because he had the best education. It wasn't because he had all the ideas and knew all the answers. It's because every single time he heard something he didn't know, he asked questions and then he went and did work on those. He's, I'm going to learn Python. I'm going to go, great. What do you ask? I'll ask questions when I get stuck. Not what, and he didn't ask how to learn Python. He asked, oh, I, I don't understand this. And the question was good because he tried it already. He failed already. And now he was just coming with really good questions. That is what I mean by effort. And it doesn't mean that he worked 26 hours a day. It doesn't mean that he put in a thousand hours. It means whenever he tried to do something, he tried it himself, got to the point of failure, explored the internet, couldn't find out how to Google through it in the right way because he didn't know enough yet. And then he did ask a great question and helping him was awesome. It was awesome to help him because you knew every minute you give to him turned into him spending hours on the back end, taking that knowledge, applying it and using it. Oh, always the best people to hire. Yeah, just want to jump in real quick. People don't appreciate how powerful being inquisitive is. And I've spoken to people just entering security, young people in security, many times through, through various organizations. The one thing that I tell them over and over again is stay inquisitive. 
question everything. When something is put in front of you, question it. Not just how application foo works, but application foo integrates with application bar. Like how does that, how does every aspect of it work? It depends on what your role is, what you're interested in. You don't have to dig down to the ones and zeros, but ask the question, stay inquisitive. That is such a powerful thing. I've tried to give that advice to many people and some people take it, some people don't, but that's, I think the example you gave about that kid, he stayed inquisitive. He was just always wanted to know like how something worked. And I think that's, it wasn't that's a kid. A, that was the part that was different. He wasn't, he was far beyond what most people would expect to pivot in his career from one avenue to technology. But like I said, he put in the effort and I actually, people had, they're like, how can he constantly be doing good? Why are we constantly rewarding him? I go, look at what he does. This is what you reward. These are what you want from your teams. But yeah, I want to come back on, on something, John, is in a meritocracy organization where ideas are king, how do you talk about effort in those kind of worlds where you have a culture where ideas and a meritocracy and sharing information, how does that impact what an effort-based, trying to figure out how to say effort's important or it's all that matters in those kind of cultures and from a leadership perspective, John? Yeah. So the first way that I talk about it, especially when I'm talking to Depends on the audience is the first way that I would say that. But if you're talking to leadership, if you're talking to a customer, if you're talking to really anyone that is a stakeholder, but not necessarily the individual contributor on the team that would might be the person trying to execute. The way that I would talk to it is you go into detail, talk about the effort, talk about the individuals and what they did to have to do to where they got to and make sure to call out the failures and the mistakes, because those are even more important sometimes than the end result, right? And you don't need to do it every time and you don't need to do it in detail. So it, it really depends, again, on the context and who you're talking to. But the important thing, and I found even with customers, being able to talk as a leader, someone, especially someone who, in my case, I would never call myself a subject matter expert in the areas of business and industry that I've worked in, but being able to talk to the areas confidently and to an extent generally just as deep or deeper than the person on the other side of the conversation, and then be able to tell them, by the way, I'm not the person you should actually be talking to if you want the real answer. It's my team. You're not only showing that you as an organization, as a leader, are confident enough in, in your answer because you've made the failures and you've learned from those failures and you've executed and built a product, a service, some, you know, something that is important out of that effort, but you're showing that the team that you've built underneath you is even better and efficient because they've learned and gone through that feedback loop. You see it more in the evolution of companies too, right? When the trajectory of startups and companies tend to peak right before they've went public, the effort's been exhausted a lot of times and the products have been built. The, the people are, they may have moved on, but they probably haven't, but ultimately they're looking to move on because they want that next step. 
Uh, they built a great company or a great product or a great service. There are very few companies, in my opinion, that can continue after that and just keep that feedback loop. And I think you're smiling, but I think we know most of the ones that we're, we're thinking of, the Microsofts and the Apples of the world are, are very well known for it. I, I think it's difficult as a company for, to, to keep that culture of continually being inquisitive, to use Ozzy's kind of terms. I actually think, well, you hit it on the area I was going to go next, but I think you hit on, I think the differential of what makes those companies the ones we were talking about is because they found a way to keep effort and output at the top of the, the concepts within the organization. I'm going to turn this back to Ozzy. I, I, how do you think about the opposite of the effort when it becomes protectionism and you have teams that are, they are intelligent, they're bright, they get things done, but they, their incentive is no longer output and effort. It is how do we make sure that we continue going forward? at a reasonable pace. They don't have any upward goals. They don't have any North Star they're meeting. How do you think about that? The opposite situation, how do you try to think about, try to impart effort, outcomes, output in for teams? Dave, yeah, you, I think you're trying to trigger me now because my, my weak spots, my pain points, it, that's tough to deal with because you're, as a leader, you're dealing with the, as, at least for me, I'm dealing with the opposite of how I'm wired and how I'm built. It's for me, it's all about effort. It's about the bigger goal, putting self-interest aside and trying to do the thing that's right for the greater good of your team, your organization, your company. So if you're talking about a team that is, when you say North star, like the lack of a North star, right? Cause I, I heard two different things from you, right? I heard a team without this sort of bigger goal, lack of North Star, something that they're sort of driving towards and, and achieving. But then you also said very early on, a team that was putting in effort, but I forget your exact word, just simply about power and position or position. Well, they don't have a motive. They, they're comfortable. They're not looking for their up and out. They're not looking for taking on more. They're a comfortable team. They kind of gone flatline. It's not that they're bad. It's not that they're great. It's not that they're projecting upwards. They're just flatlined. They're all comfortable. They're making whatever they are and they're happy in their position, which is not a bad thing for a company. Yep. But at mm. the same point in time, without that, hey, we're marching towards X. And, and it, it, it right. ends with they're still doing work, but they're not. I'm going to disagree work. with everything, one thing you just said, but I agree with everything Perfect. except one thing you just said the fact that it is not good for a company. I believe that when companies lose focus and they lose people that want to put in that effort that they're unless they're able i think there's a very short period of time that unless they're able to turn that around they're going to get gobbled up that they're gone i could call out a few right now we don't need to necessarily go down the road of discussing that but i, I think that one are you saying that's a systemic once that starts popping up it's a cancer. Of effort. It's a systemic problem and it grows. Yes. It's a cancer in an organization. And it's not only, it's not only technology. It's when the effort isn't put in for the, for building a product. It's when the effort isn't put in for supporting that product to being the best customer service organization, to being the best sales organization, to being the best place to work for your employees. It's all amounts of effort in a company. Once you start to lose that and it's not 
fixed, it's a cancer and it'll destroy the company. It's just a matter of time. Might not be fast, but it'll happen. So you, I'm, you, I'm going to Yeah, I was just going to say you hit on a lot of points that I was going to touch on, and I was going to bring it back to my statement of I'm looking to hire someone, and I'm deciding between a subject matter expert that's good at what they do versus someone who's not really in the field that I'm looking for, but shows that, that desire, that hunger, that effort. The reason why I'm picking that person every time, not just because of the effort, but because of the situation that you highlighted, Jeremy, it's not that these, those individuals, it's not that they're not doing work, but it's either a lack of motivation, boredom, they're getting the stuff, the stuff that's in front of them, they're getting them accomplished, but they're not asking that next question. That next question could be, all right, what am I doing next? Or have that inquisitive nature that I spoke about a few minutes ago. To John's point, you need folks that are going to take it past the tasks that are in front of them. If you have an organization, especially a startup, and everybody's just looking at, what do I need to do? I've been given a list of things to do. I'm going to do it. And that's it. There's always more to do. And if, and if you don't have a team that's looking past the list of things that's currently in front of them, you're ultimately over time, like John said, it's going to, it's almost like a cancer. It's going to fester. It's going to spread. It's going to grow. And you may not completely fail, but your success will be stunted. It, you're no. going to be, you're going to be limited by your growth. So, yeah. I mean, l l listen, I'm going to, I'll name a couple of companies uh, and hot takes. Maybe we could do this part <laughs> of it. Uh, I'll give you two companies that one, one example where they are going to be a successful company, but it is going to be miserable to work there. It's going to be miserable to use their products and they're not going to innovate. And what I mean by innovation, I don't mean just I mean, generally coming up with new and interesting things for their customers in a way that's going to shape, change and potentially shape the industry. The first company is VMware. They're going to make a fuck ton of money. Broadcom, actually, bloody VMware. Yep. They're going to make a fuck ton of money. It's going to continually be a, a faucet for them. But VMware as a product, as an innovation hub, as a company, they're fucking dead. The second company, they're going to, within two, maybe three years, they will be gobbled up either by a larger company like Hewitt Packard or IBM, or maybe even Google. They are going to continue to probably make decent products that we all leverage and we all enjoy, but they will not create anything new other than what they've already created. Maybe a couple of things in flight. And that's HashiCorp. Oh, that's a bold statement. All right. I want to argue against you, John. But I can't because I agree with you violently. <laughs> but I think there's an interesting point in what Ozzy's saying at the same time in that you're always looking for the people that are going above and beyond. How do you keep a group driven, but yet not overworked, not creating a culture of over cycles where everybody feels like they have to do more and to the point where they are working 50 hours a week, they're stressed out of their mind. They don't know how to do anything less. I don't know how to balance this. I failed at it. Every single team that I've built that's uh, successful people always overworks themselves. They don't take enough vacation. They always have too much connectivity and too much ownership. How do you think about that, Jazzy? That's, uh, I think, and I'm saying this, but I don't want to say a leadership thing when you just said that you failed at it. 
I did. But that's fine. It's, I have no problem. I, I feel like I just hopefully there's no one works for me listening to this. I feel like I I sometimes felt that myself. Like it's not an easy, it's not an easy thing. But sorry, Ozzy, I didn't mean to jump on you. No, it's all right. It, it it's not easy, but the way I think about it, it has to be driven from the top by leadership, by example, maybe. And and it is a really tricky balance because I just finished saying. You want the people that are inquisitive. You want the people that are always looking for the next thing. But you do have to balance. You do have to find time for yourself. You do have to pull away. A la the Reading is Fundamental episode when I talked about going. Everybody's, Listen, you got to take a breath. <laughs> got to give your sense, yourself a, a chance to think about things. So it is a tricky balance. I'm not... I'm not going to sit here and profess that it's not hard, but I would address it by expressing that to the team, passing on that message, making sure that everybody takes the time. I do that with my current team. I afford them the flexibility and I also hold them accountable to when things are expected and when things need to be done. And they do, by example, they, they do see that I, I do both those things. Very big on family, very big on things that I'm doing in my personal life, whether it be board memberships or volunteer work. That's time away from work. So that's a balance. That's sort of the work-life balance. So giving that example, but also I grind, right? I put in the time and I grind hard. They see that and you pass on that sort of culture, for example. So I think there's a way to do that and show that, but you have to be, as a leader, you have to be vulnerable. You have to be willing to sort of be transparent about what's going on in your personal life, what I did over the weekend, what I'm doing tonight. A lot of people are very closed in. They don't like to share their personal life with their coworkers, with their work life. But that's an important part to being a good leader, being vulnerable and showing the transparency because then they get to see, oh, wait, you're not just grinding because I will send out an email at 6 a.m. when I wake up to walk my dog and read emails and respond to emails on a weekend. And to the person that hasn't worked with me often, they might go, man, this guy doesn't ever turn off. But then when I get to work, I talk about, yeah, listen, took the day off yesterday, which I did take the day off yesterday and I went and played golf in 39 degree temperatures because I'm crazy like that. <laughs> you are coming later. But yeah, no, let's no, don't do it. We're not going to get on that rabbit hole. Not yet. That's another episode. <laughs> that, that shows that, hey, I grind, but I find the time for myself also. And then I sort of try to lead by example like that. That's not going to work with everybody. It's not going to be foolproof, but that's the way that I've done it so far. And I've seen a fair amount of success in that. Like I said, I've always failed, so I have a tendency to be too pushy, too aggressive, too, and it brings that out in people because they think that's what I expect from everybody. So I have to hide it in some ways, shape or form, and I still don't know how effective that is. Hey, it's everything's calm, cool, collected all the time, even though I'm sitting inside with my imposter syndrome going, I got to go, I got to go, I got to go. But I'm going to, I want to give a question I was going to give to John, but I want Ozzy's hot take on this. Because I would, I really want, you're given VMware. 
as a transformation person, leader, and your job is to make sure they can get back to innovation. The company. The company, an organization. How would you think about changing something like that? And I want your hot take. Listen, you should have asked me this before you asked the other question, because the other answer that I gave is probably the same answer I'm going to give. But we're talking about 8,000 people. It's a different scale. Yeah, but it's all about the culture, dude. It's scale, but the number of people that work in, in my current organization, then it's a big organization. But your, that co- the, my company's been really successful at developing, creating a culture from very early on. And that culture stands and lives till today. And the owner of that company is very proud of that culture. Your company can be either very successful based on the culture that you establish, or you can fail or you can not innovate based on the culture that you establish. And it all starts at the top. And listen, I'm not going to say it's a, an immediate turnaround for a company that's super far down the rabbit hole of losing their grip on innovation. But, and sometimes it could be like turning the Queen Mary, but you have to start somewhere. And if you don't start at the top and if it doesn't become a thing that's there, like it's people understand. It's going to organically happen. Yeah. They see the examples. You make sure to do it specifically and intentionally live by the culture, show the examples, make sure that's ingrained in almost everything you do. And over time, that's going to permeate and it's going to start to spread and change. And that, listen, that change may require also changing people because if the company has gotten to the point where they've lost their ability to be innovative, there might be some people there that have either been a part of that downward trend or are not comfortable with the change. And we'll kind of come back to change in a minute because there's a lot about change that has to do with effort. And I want to talk about that. But uh, the lack of innovation is a little bit about culture. And sometimes with culture and sometimes with change, you have to change the people as well. So. I actually agree. I think you're missing one aspect of that. But I'm going to use that for my conversation with John. So, John, Elon with X.com and Twitter. Mm Mm-hmm. He was a change agent. He went radical to try to change and make the company very fundamentally different. I think he destroyed an engineering culture while focusing on uh, lean is good and bare operational principles. What do you think about what he did there? And do you think that's a model that other companies could do in a better way, worse way, or take some hints from? I'm not saying do it exactly like he did, but there's some good learnings there, I think. I feel like this one's a... This one's a loaded question because I don't know if you know my opinion here. I do know your opinion here. Maybe you do. We'll see. I think that personally Twitter's culture was dead long before Elon purchased it. Long before he even suggested that he was going to purchase it before he started buying the shares. I think what Elon did was he came in and turned the business around. He cut it down to the operational bare bones. Twitter got way too bloated both from a product engineering perspective for the number of people they have, they weren't producing the revenue, they weren't producing the product, they weren't innovating. There was a lot of companies that ate their lunch. Instagram, right? I could think, I, you, we could name- TikTok. TikTok, like they just keep on going, like YouTube shorts. 
I don't know if that is a lack of because the previous CEO decided to go start a blockchain company or an open protocol that was basically a competitor. But they lost focus quite a while before Elon bought him. Elon bought him and he turned it around and he made it profitable. And then a lot of other things happened. I, I don't think they're going to go away. I think the only way they're going to go away is if, is if for some reason there is, they're just not able to make revenue. And even then, I think Elon's just going to, he'll write it off and probably still burn the uh, capital to keep it running because that's, he's a fucking billionaire and why the hell not? But yeah, I don't think that he, I think that what he did very, I think that some of the stuff he did because he was trying to run it extremely lean, I agree. It went a little too far. I think that because of the his principles, maybe a little bit of, he turned personal, some personal opinions and just hot takes or whatever into things that negatively are hurting the company from a revenue perspective, but I don't think he really cares. I also don't think necessarily that the, that the new shareholders care because he's keeping them relevant. Not what I expected from you. I actually use Twitter as my example of, or more importantly, Elon of effort is all that matters gone too far in that he values only effort and constant iteration and constant focus on redoing and doesn't focus on the other aspects of that, which is thoughtfulness, planning, design. He wants to iterate, iterate, iterate repeatedly as fast as possible. And he's actually the counterpoint to my own idea that effort is all that matters because I think he doesn't have any boundaries beyond that. And that's why I always think of him that way. Well, can that's we, true though, but sorry. No, that's how I think. Uh, Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, can we, we yeah. and we should have led with this disclaimer, but I think effort is all that matters is kind of cheek and tongue, maybe a oh, little yeah. bit of a misnomer because I think we can all agree that there's so much that goes into success of yes. anything in life. I gave the example of my girls being on a, a team, playing a team sport every year. And that example, effort was a big part of that, but there were so many other aspects to, to being on a team that go into the, the makeup and that comprises of that, that, that goes into the makeup of having a good team. So I don't think even with business, it's not just about effort. And to your point, Elon might be the sort of on that far end of the spectrum, but there's a lot of other things that components that have to be a part of that as well. So I think I, I, I the change thing, this kind of segue, segues into, I wanted to talk a little bit about change because change I think is directly tied into effort. And one of the reasons why a lot of people have trouble dealing with change is because change requires work. It requires effort people as humans and especially modern day in our generations. And I say our generations, I think I'm in a different generation than you guys, <laughs> but I didn't say it. You did. No, I know. I, you've now programmed I think you're in me. a different generation than me, John. Yeah. You've now programmed me to start making ageism jokes about myself. No, but seriously, we got <laughs> every generation in this podcast besides millennials. Right. I think. So what I'm saying is change is hard for a lot of people, but change is hard for a lot of people. One of the big reasons why change is hard for a lot of people is because change requires work. It requires effort. It is a scary thing for people because you're going to have to put the time into changing. 
I think, I don't know, Jeremy, if it was you and I that had this conversation, but I had a conversation with somebody recently about the way we're wired. It bothers me when people say, oh, Mike, I, I can't do that. It's just, that's, I'm just not wired that way. That's not how I am. If you want to change how you are, you change how you are. It's all based on how much effort and time you're willing to put into changing yourself and how much you're willing to prioritize. And now I'm not talking about all of a sudden I'm going to make myself into a rocket scientist. I'm not talking about that. We all have limitations, but a perfect example. I've recently started reading a lot more. We've talked about this on the other podcast, reading a lot more than I've ever read. There are reasons why I didn't read a ton before, but I wanted to change that. I always used to say to my, to, to people and to myself, I'm not a, I'm not a reader. I'm not a big reader. That's just not the way I'm wired. That I, I changed that, right? It took time, it took effort, but I changed that. I think those two things are directly tied together, change and effort. Um, and I, I just want to give you guys a chance to chime in on that, but I'm going to ask you a question. Sure. We just recently went through the pandemic. And one of the things we saw in the pandemic was a lot of career change. People took the time to try something different. I want to go make pottery in Colorado, or Wyoming, or whatever people were doing. But there was a lot of change, career change happening. And it was the great resignation period where we came out of COVID. So that was running rampant. Why do we think there was so much career change after we went through the pandemic? Before you answer the question, I'm sorry, Ozzy, I have to answer the question before the question because it drives me nuts. I disagree. It is not effort and that, that stops people from making change. That's one it of the things. The lack, it, no effort is what happens after you made a choice. You have to get to the choice first. But no, but my and point. then effort hold on, happens. Hold on. My point is you have to make that choice, but the decision and the choice for a lot of people is based on the amount of work that they're going to have to do to change. Been my biggest experience. My biggest experience has been that they don't want, they don't know to make a choice. It's decision making. Or, is, or they don't they, want to admit that they're wrong. That too. There's a lot of things, but I find that the decision point, and this is my experience with most people, mm -hmm. is once they make the decision, I'm going to use smoking for me. I used to smoke for 25 years. I could try to quit smoking, but I never decided to quit smoking. Air quotes in case people, I didn't make the, I never made the choice. I never decided and believed it and wanted it myself. I was always doing it for another reason, some external purpose. And then one time I actually chose it. And for that point in time, I then chose to put an effort afterward, but I wanted to quit. I made that decision and then came the hard effort part. But I think that decision-making is the actual important part. Now, I do think a lot of people fail because of the effort, but I think the hardest part for people is to make a choice when they have fear, uncertainty, being wrong, any of the social dynamics that goes into that. That's the part I think is the dominant factor for change for people, not the effort. I actually think there's a lot of effort that needs to go into things, but 
I, I wanted to answer that directly because I actually disagree and I think it's interesting. Yeah, no, that is an interesting point. I, it, effort is not the only thing. And I think no. the uh -huh. fear of failing is a big aspect there as well. But I will ask you this. Why did you not make that choice for the, the whole period of time when you didn't give it up? And why did you make the choice when you finally did? There was a, it was, I was at a point in my life when I was unhappy with it. I had reached the point where sure there was a physical addiction. Still, there was the social aspects of that. I didn't want it. And I had actually reached the point where I didn't like the smell enough. I was it got to the point where I was like, no, I do not want this to be a definition of me, not for my wife, not for my kids, because I didn't want it. I didn't want to be, a, I didn't want to say, I'm Jeremy, I'm a smoker. And I'm Jeremy, I'm an ex-smoker. Whatever terminology I wanted for my self-definition had flipped. And I didn't care about that definition. Oh, fuck you. I don't care if you don't like my cigarettes. I don't care if you get on. The grossest thing in the entire world is getting on a on an elevator when it's raining outside. Somebody had just had a cigarette. It just sticks to them. I didn't care. And then at some point in time, when I was older, I cared. I cared not because of what other people thought, because I didn't like it. I didn't like that definition of me. Then it took a fuckload of effort, but it took that definition. It took that change. Do you think that? I, and I get why that I get why that this is your point happened when it happened. Do you think at any point before you made that decision that you didn't bring yourself to making that decision because you understood the road ahead of you for what it would require to, to stop smoking? I had quit probably 30, 40 times. I made it years sometimes, but I never quit and thought of myself as a non-smoker. Yeah. Well. And, so the, and the one time I did wasn't because of the effort, because I had made the choice about myself to be a non-smoker. And I started thinking about myself, not actively, but Hey, Jeremy's not a smoker. I still will. I'll watch Mad Men on TV and I'm like, oh, well, it's amazing how fast I get that physical emotion. There's so much after a meal. I still like physically, go, I, but I don't think of myself as a smoker anymore. So there's no, oh no, I'm going to go have one. Nope. Right. I'm not a smoker. Fair enough. Like I said, and my the wife, e the effort, the effort to change part is to me, I think it's one of the aspects. It's not everything. And it, it's also in this, when it comes to this subject, we're not on even playing field here because there, there is a physical, chemical, physiological dependency to nicotine. Yes. So I don't put that on the same playing field as saying, Hey, I want to start reading more. So I just want to put no. that out there that those things are different. I if I, listen, if I had a drinking problem or someone had a drinking problem, I'm not saying, Hey, you can't stop drinking because you just don't want to put the effort in. There's, there's a lot of aspects of these types of addictions that there are but, other things at play. So I just want to put that out there. I'm not putting them on the same I agree. Thing. But I yeah. think the changing oneself, it takes a choice and then effort comes in. And that's the part that I actually wish I could teach now that we're having this conversation. We're talking about it. I wish more people understood that the choice is also really important. Yeah, but, but hold on. I'm not saying the choice is not more important than the effort, but what I'm saying is that that choice can be prolonged for a long period of time because you know the amount of effort you're going to have to put into it. 
So it's a little bit chicken and egg here. Maybe. You're saying you make the choice, then you got to put the effort in. The effort you're going to have to put in. Yeah. So that might stop that's, you from making the choice. I mean, that's exa- I mean, that's exactly why I haven't lost weight. You're right. You're right. There, there absolutely are, I think, things that stop people from making the choice because they know the effort is. I know that choice for me requires a lot of effort. And it's a lot of effort. It's different kinds of effort too, right? It's effort with at a at a social level. It's effort at a timing level. It's effort that I now need to make for work even sometimes. <laughs> and it's hard, but for me, I, I think uh, I f- I'm finding ways to start kind of chipping away at those, th- those effort, right? Walking more or planning activities around being more active or at least with the kids on the weekends doing things that aren't sitting around. It's hard because it's I like job. video games. It's, and it's, it's literally job. our job is to sit around. Yeah. But to Jeremy's point, I think. I understand what you're saying about smoking because I I started vaping, smoking, but I never thought of myself as a smoker. And for me to quit, it, it actually was a lot less effort than others. And I think that's because I never thought of myself as a smoker. I hated the smell of smoke, right? Always hated the smell of smoke. I still do, except cigars. I think of myself as a cigar smoker and that part to, to break myself of that habit was hard. And I didn't know you quit cigars. I haven't smoked. A, so during the pandemic with the stress, I was smoking at least one cigar a day Ooh, that's for a about a year. Maybe during the pandemic, before the pandemic, it was nowhere near that bad, but it was frequent. I would walk the dog. Uh, it's like a cigar when I'm a smoke in the, or sorry, during the pandemic. About two years ago, I was like, you know what? This isn't good health-wise. Don't want to do it anymore. And I was able to pretty much cold turkey. I, I told myself, I'm not going to buy anymore. I'll finish what I have and then it's done. And, and I was able to do that. Now, I still enjoy them and I do it occasionally, but it's like at a wedding, maybe a social event. And I treat it as a, I use it as a treat for a social gathering or something like that, or on the golf course. And I don't, and I'm not a golfer, so it's only once or <laughs> I, twice. I was just going to say, wait a minute. <laughs> Honestly, the three times I've been, I've done 18 holes of golf, it was really to go smoke a cigar. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you bring up the, no, the, the, the weight loss, because I was looking up some stuff on effort, like in preparation for this podcast. And there are a couple of things that I found that are really key points about effort and setting goals for yourself and how the effort sort of keeps you focused on success. And as you get closer to your goal, your motivation and your willpower increases because you can sort of taste that victory or achieving that goal. It's for me personally, I've seen that in working out, when I start to work out, I instantly eat better because from psychologically, I'm putting the effort into working out. I see that sort of the cost. Yeah. Yeah. There's two parts there, right? There's seeing the goal 
and seeing that sort of whatever your goal is, seeing that within your sites, and there's the cost to it. So much effort that you put into it that to blow four days in the gym that you did this week on a McDonald's meal, although I haven't had McDonald's in 25 years, but on a McDonald's meal, you start to weigh that and you're like, man, no, I put a lot of time in the gym. I'm not going to blow it just for some fast food meal. So that's a, a key part that has always helped me. And that's why I wanted to talk when we started the podcast, I wanted to talk a little bit about the psychological aspect of effort. And there are a lot of psychological wins that come along with effort. And that's one of them, the effort and the success and setting goals, they all feed off each other. You also, the more effort you put into something is the more that you build your self-confidence up and you understand your abilities. If we don't push ourselves, then we don't know what we can achieve. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of David Goggins, the guy who was crazy Navy SEAL guy. He's an insanity. I read his book, Can't Hurt Me. It is a great read. You guys should check it out. Fantastic read. This guy, the premise of the book is he believes that most people cap themselves. As human beings, we cap, our, we cap ourselves at about 40% of our abilities. He believes that there's a governor. We all have a governor in our brain, like a car has a governor that limits the speed. And he has found a way to push past that governor and push past any limits that he may have had, that his mind have may have set for him. And if you read the book, you'll be amazed at the things that this guy has done. It is really crazy, but that book speaks to, that directly speaks to sort of effort pushing yourself. And the only way you sort of understand your limitations is if you continue to push yourself and you push yourself by putting in effort in things. I suggest if you have time, get that book, read it. It sounds like a beast. Yeah. Even if you read about the guy's stories, a beast is afraid of this man. David Goggins is fucking crazy. The only way I can define him is fucking crazy. He's awesome. And you got to watch some of his talks. He's, he is the most bonkers, awesome person I've seen. I haven't read his book, Ozzy. I read every book that's recommended for me. So that added to the list. Can't hurt me. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at it. That's one of the highest rated books I've ever seen on Amazon. It changed a lot of people's lives. Yeah. Really good book. See, I have a very different relationship with effort. I think it's vitally important. I agree with everything, but effort doesn't change. It's not the, the litmus wasn't the change agent. It's not the driver. I think it's the necessary thing. And I think it's absolutely required. I always see it as the choice, the choice to start putting in effort, the choice to make the change. And that is the thing for me. That's the driver. And I use the common one that I use throughout the podcast is the choice to fuck you. I'm going to prove you wrong. That's a choice I make constantly. Fuck you. I can do this anyway. Now, I, what follows from me is from that is the ungodly amount of effort I'm willing to put in to prove to do that. But the choice is the part that has always been the, the inflection point for me, the motivator. 
And I have a feeling I'm dimmed for them most. My, my wife does not agree with me on this. She's the effort comes and then you'll figure out how to do, make the choice consistent. Mm, I think you make those choices because you're okay with putting in the effort or because you're not okay with putting in the effort. You know the effort that's required. When somebody challenges you, you're like, man, I'm about to, I'm about to go through the suck because I know that I'm not really a golfer and Ozzy challenged me to get really good at golf, something that you've played golf before, but you don't really do that often, but you have a good enough understanding of it to know, is man, that a this bet? is going to take this. If you want to take it on, let's go. We can. What's the handicap I got to get to? Which your head? Hold on. Wait a Let second. Let me finish my thought before we get on this rabbit hole. Your, and we can end on this bet. This because is an interesting to, one. Yeah. Yes. Because I'm because I need to hear the terms and and I got to yeah. start the. We're gonna, right. we're gonna have a pool going here. I have really good terms and it's not going to be anything crazy. It's not going to be anything crazy. Bet. I think back to what I was saying. You understand the effort it takes to take on that bet. So before you make that choice. It's just, it's analysis, right? You go through the analysis of, all right, I'm going to say yes, this is what's going to be required. Or if I'm, if I say no, then I know that I won't have to do this list of things to, to fulfill whatever it is, whatever goal I have or to, or I'm not taking on the challenge. That is because you're willing to, or not willing to put the effort in. And that's why I know you and I are probably going to argue this until we blew in the face, but I think that goes into the choice. I'm going to tell you now, sometimes you're right. Most of the time you're not. I, I wish I was that planned and that thoughtful when you're talking about that choice. I have the amount of wasted life I have spent put, put, pushing, being, proving people wrong and the amount of effort I've put into things that probably shouldn't have and thought about ahead of time would be staggering. Well, not complaining, but I, more often than not, it's an emotional response. No, I'm going to fucking do this anyway. You know, the effort that it requires to a certain extent, you might not understand. And I think I, I have a perfect example of this, which we're about to see in the next five minutes, because I don't think you're going to understand what it's going to require to, to take on this golf challenge. Oh. But for most things, you understand that it's going to take at least a certain amount of effort and you're willing to put that effort in. And that's what enables you to make that choice or not, or either accept the challenge or not accept it. Right. You make that choice, either yes or no. I will tell you honestly and truly, if it's in the physical domain, I always am thinking about effort. If it's in the computers, thinking, reading, that kind of stuff, never. I just have blind, stupid confidence and I'd fucked that up many times. But you, so if I gave you a, a technical or te technological challenge right now, you mean to tell if me you, you don't have an idea of what it's going to take? I'm saying that I am overconfident in my ability to read my way out of problems and put enough effort into them. 100%. I will but, not factor in the effort if I think I know the domain. I think and you I, do I'm telling I think you, you I think subconsciously you factor in the effort. Maybe 
I can't tell you what I do subconsciously, but I, maybe. I think subconsciously you factor in the effort. You just listen, especially when it comes to like technology or reading, and, but you're very well read. You're a technologist. You just don't have to think about it. Maybe. I honestly say I don't know, but I don't think about it. Maybe I have an intuition and maybe I have a good gauge. I, I do have a very good pattern matching engine. Yeah, that's completely possible. I won't discount it. I don't think it. I don't process it that way. But I, I will concede that maybe you're right. I don't think you are, but maybe. But now we're going to go talk about golf. I was going to say, um, we're going to get into the golf thing after I say I know I'm right. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into the golf thing here, let's talk terms right now. What exactly are we, do I need to write down and then record so that I can appropriately take bets? So... Jeremy is, I guess, no, but I'm not going to put it in. I'm not going to put words in your mouth, Jeremy. You, you tell me what you think you're signing up for. I'm going to give you some challenge. Oh, golf-related challenge. I know how hard golf is. I honestly, truly do. Mm -hmm. You told um, me you played when you were younger. Fair amount. I used to live in Phoenix, Arizona, and Albuquerque, Mexico. My, my family grew up playing lots and lots of golf. I understand it. I understand how complicated the game is. I understand how bad at it I am. And I'm betting on the fact that going from how shitty I would be to putting some effort in and how good I could get to, aka not good, but put effort enough. And I know I have a simulator that I can go rent time on. It's down the street. I know that I have the ability to go execute against it. And I know that I like to win. So let me, I have a Look couple job, of questions. Job. First of all, dangerous things for listeners right now. Yes. <laughs> like his yes. personality oh, is extremely dangerous and he's drinking a it lot right now too. It doesn't. So John, I'm not scared of any of that. It doesn't matter because golf is greater than any will or determination you may have. So a question. And then I'm going to give you an opportunity to back out of this thing before we go into it. All right. Because I, there's no chance of me backing out. I don't like losing. I don't know. We are friends and I, and I, I feel like I'm stealing candy from a child. So <laughs> the question is when you played, when you were younger, what is the best you ever got to? What's the lowest score you ever shot? That you can remember. On Roughly. a full 18? Yeah. Just give me intense. 110, somewhere okay. in that area. Yeah. All right. I got you. And that's an, I'm not trying to set up. No, I was 110 on the, there was a, a Royal Del Oso, the course that my dad played all the time. Mm -hmm. I would be consistently two over par per hole. And then I'd have that one day where you're like, oh my God, I got three pars today and be exceedingly happy. Cause you know, the feeling when you, when things yeah. actually feel like it's right. Yeah. That. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I'm not good. And I, but I do realistically understand how bad I am and I understand how bad I am, particularly at the short game. Okay. So we, I'm going to, we're going to put a time limit on this. Okay. You got to put a time limit. But on. what are we actually talking about first? I don't know we're, yet. We're, we're okay. talking about. Jeremy getting to a certain 
I won't say handicap because you have to play. No, I don't have enough. Don't, uh, you have to play a lot to, to develop a, a consistent sort of solid handicap. But what I'll say is you have to get to shooting in the low 90s. I would say 95. And when I say shooting 95, you have to shoot 95 or lower, let's say three times within a certain period. Now I have to think about when that starts. That's a hard. Uh, that ain't easy. That, that is not something. I don't consider that a fair going okay. from zero. Oh, wait, no, I don't know. Let me go. Do you honestly think in what time period do you think is fair for effort? to be there and then let's ratchet it back to get to that. Okay. Because you're the more of the expert, so I'm deferring to you. What, how long do you think it would take you to get to 95 on three games, AKA somewhat consistent years, months, or days? I played a lot since last fall. Of course I did not play over the winter because mm -hmm. we just, well, I didn't know we could really play through the winter here in the city. Now that I know that I'm going to be playing. The lowest I ever shot was a 96. That was once. I have not broken lower than a hundred again. And I played over the summer. I played a lot. Spring and the summer, I played a lot. I probably played once, maybe twice a week. So that shot one year. So about one year minus the winter. So like maybe let's say nine months. And the, where I'm shooting consistently now is the last two times I played, which was yesterday and about three weeks ago, I shot 102 both times. So I'm getting close to being consistently in, in the nineties, but that's taken a lot of work and it's not just playing like driving range work yeah. and lessons. So 95. I'd give you two years to try to get there, but here's the catch. And here's the, the out that I'm going to give you. If you're going to take this bet on, you're going to destroy your life because <laughs> you're not going to have time for a lot of the other things that you prioritize in your life. And I would feel bad as a friend to put this challenge in front of you, knowing what it's going to do to you. Let me ask this question. If Jeremy practiced, let's say he played one game a month, but he did a lot of simulator time, short game for a year, what do you think Middle? he'll get to? Oh, so let's say Jeremy right now is starting at 120. Let's say he's, he'll shoot 120, 125 right now. That would be good. I don't would even be. know what that means, honestly, but. Yeah, we'll go into that when we 72 talk about is, this. Yeah. 72 is pro. 72 is pro. So if he played once a month, but went to the simulator a lot. Now, when you say a lot, at least, what are you talking At about? least once a month, but went to the simulator a lot. What's a lot? I don't know. Twice a week for okay. two hours. Twice a week. Four, well, let's not say twice a week. Four hours a week. Four Can you do that, Jeremy? Four hours a week. Would you do that? I can't do it in the winter. That's the problem. Okay. Because like, okay, let's just hypothetically say Jeremy. Well, what was you can do going, is, is buy one of those packs on Amazon for yeah. they start proving your short game. So 
four hours a week, either on the simulator or practicing a short game and then playing, let's say, once a month, at least once a month. Four hours a week, playing once a month. You're asking me how long it would take him. No. After after how long? If he did it for a year, where do you think he'd be at? He would be probably in the one teens, like one thirteen, fourteen, all the way up to. So you're saying almost as good as he's ever done when he was younger. No, we started him. I remember we started him when he was younger. Oh no, I thought we were starting. I thought right now we're starting him at one twenty, one twenty-five. No, what I'm saying is you're saying that the one teens. That's roughly. It's a little bit worse than he's ever done before. No, I I thought we were starting him at like around one. We are around one twenty, one twenty-five. We are, but what I'm saying is, it, ten strokes oh, he would, off of he that. would be yes. I, I get guess. ten strokes. Yes, I, I get yes. ten stroke, ten to twelve strokes off of that in a year at that pace. Yes, exactly, John. Even though he was playing when he was younger. Yes. Yeah, the playing when I'm younger doesn't matter anymore. Oh, I'm just curious. That, it yeah, just to me, it sounds for you, Jeremy. It, it's a gauge of how much effort you had to put in. And when you were oh, younger, no. I don't think you would. I'm actually doing practicing. exactly what I said I wouldn't. Because I would have made the bet a long time ago, but we talked about it. Now I'm sitting here going like, how the fuck am I going to fight all that time in Vermont? No, you're not. I'm not going to, I'm not going to throw the challenge out there just for that reason. You and I are friends and I don't want to do that to you. That's not even right because it would take. But I could sweeten the pot. (laughs) Well, so the thing of the matter is I don't necessarily need a bet to go. No, but I I think a live podcast in Mexico. Now you're talking about fun. Oh my God. (laughs) <laughs> oh my God! See, I know Jeremy, and if you give him an incentive, well, let me ask John: Where in Mexico, John? <laughs> I don't know. Somewhere on the west oh. side of Mexico? Maybe, maybe. I'm just saying we could put a little meat behind this, but we should probably think about it before and talk more about golf simulators in a future podcast. Yeah. We're gonna. So, so what we're gonna do? So, I think we should I end gotta, this podcast with no definitive. No, I, no, I'm not even throwing the challenge there. I'm not officially putting the terms out there. I understand you're not putting the terms out there. I'm not going to let you do it. What's the wager? Mm. What's what the would wager? be given up? If you win, what do you get? What If I win, what do I get? Because mm-hmm. oh, that's the part that gets interesting. I didn't know real wager. I thought I was just challenging. Oh, there's got to be a wager. It's got to be something. Like, oh, listen, you are, you want a wager? Then if you want it, listen, that's big boy talk you. That you're making now, that I you're talking. Know. So I know. I was going to let you out the hook, but if you're talking about wager, then wager. I'm very competitive, dude. I know you are. If I challenge you, then there is no competition in it for me. It's just you're the one that's taking on the oh, challenge. No, no, no. We could turn it around on you too, Oz. <laughs> yeah. No, you can, except I'm, and, not, and long, I'm yeah. not that gullible enough to take on any challenges. I realize true. that my limitations. So... But if, if oh, you're talking, wait, so you just wait, wait, you just challenged me again. Maybe. Oh, ouch. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know what the wager would be because I'm not. I don't. I, it doesn't matter what the wager. It doesn't matter if it would be if I would benefit more than Jeremy so, would in the wager. Let's say Jeremy said, "All right, listen, I don't care. Listen, if you if I win, then." You give me a new iPhone, but if you win, I buy you uh, a new okay, car. I don't, no, no, I'm saying, I wouldn't care if it was really lopsided in my favor. I still wouldn't do it because Jeremy's a friend and I'm telling you, this is going to, it's going to eat you up alive, dude. 
No, he just it. to prove that wrong. It's gonna, no, dude, it's I'm gonna, a petty person. It's going to um, take up so much of your time. Oh my God, no, don't do it. And so that the only thing that gives me hesitation is not the effort, but the time to make that happen. And so almost everything I can do is reading time at my deliverable. Hey, I don't mind staying up till two in the morning reading. You can't do that with golf. You have to give up weekends. You have to take off all those other things. Do you I know, know this. No, a simulator is not the same thing as golf. No. So the way to train. Yes, John, that's why you asked if he went to play once a month and did four hours in a simulator, it doesn't matter because there's such, there's a difference between the simulator and actually playing and such a difference between the mental aspect of the game is such a big part of your success. That's been the thing that's held me back more than anything. And I'm just now getting to the point, hence shooting the 102 twice in a row. I'm getting to the point now where I'm not letting the mental aspect beat me as much as it used to. And now I can finally hone in on consistency, repetition, and all those good bits. But the mental aspect alone, and you can't, you won't get over the mental aspect just by going to the simulator or to the driver range because it's fool's gold there. Yeah. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to not shake it, build a challenge. How about this? Ozzy, next time you go hit balls, I'm going to join you a couple of times. Okay. Not because I'm competing, because it's something to do also. I also like yeah. hanging out with you. You're a good person. And that was very, I'll try to have fun. That was very sort of felt very gratuitous. I like hanging out with you. You're a good person. I didn't know what else to say. <laughs> but I mean, I, I, see, so, I like the idea of betting in the challenge. So uh, it's easy when you're on the sidelines. That's true. Yeah. You want yeah. to make it 3v3, 1v1 across oh, three people? 1v1? I, I could never. <laughs> John's yeah, we, I wouldn't be stupid enough to take that bet. Oh, I just, I know I don't have the time. And that, honestly, that's it. yeah, like it, it actually, it does interest me. And my problem isn't necessarily that, like, I, I wouldn't put the effort in. I don't really have, for me, I need someone to play with. Yeah. And I don't have anyone down here right now that I could do that with. Jeremy and I just had this conversation, I think it was today or yesterday, where I said, I'm not playing as much anymore. I don't have the time and things work out in a certain way and the universe kind of aligns things that way for you. Because right now, if it were spring or summer right now, I wouldn't be playing as much as I did last spring or last summer, just because I've shifted my priorities and my efforts are going elsewhere. We'll see what happens this spring and summer, but yeah. Well, no matter what, I'm going to go join you a couple of times. We're going to yeah, have let's a little do that. fun. Let's do that. Because there's no downside to that. Plus I need a goddamn. So the other thing that I didn't tell you, Ozzy, is for the love of all that is holy, I need a fucking hobby. Me too. Well, I have all one, but it's I not do good. is family, work, and read. I have to figure something out. And I don't know what it is. I haven't been able to find it. I need something other than playing video games i can't yet the video for games me. for I, me it was for me it was golf that's when my youngest is going off to college i said what am i going to do for me so and it was golf when you talk we talk about effort i've thought about this i'm like hey i wonder if i should go try to play some golf with ozzy i've actually thought about because i know you would always be like yeah come on let's yeah, go do it absolutely. more and i thought about the that's a fucking lot of time but I, hey, I have the courses up here. I have lots of options up here, but 
I thought about this before we even made the bet or even discussed this in the past, but I so, just didn't know if I had the time. So hold on. There's a difference between, and it's a very, it's a slippery slope. So let me just caveat this statement with that. So there's a difference between saying, Hey, I want to do this once a month, I'll go play. And you don't care about what you shoot. Yep. You don't really have to go to the driver range that much. You're just using it as an outlet and as a, uh, a social sort of social time. That's very different than saying, all right, listen, I go out and I'm shooting 125 and I want to get better and I got to put the time in to get better. Those are two very different things. If you're just looking for the sort of hobby social aspect of it, and you don't really care about how long it takes you to get better, then it doesn't really need to take that much time. Maybe once a month and you'd spend four to five hours on a course once a month. That's it. I understand. What I was saying was it wasn't the, the complexity of this conversation wasn't me trying. It was, Hey, I also thought of this before and yeah. Hey, nothing's like a good old fashioned bet to make a driver. But then I thought about it at the same point in time. That's a fuck load of time to get better at. Yep. I think we can go ahead and end it on that note. No bet. Yet. Damn it. No bet yet. Sorry, John. See what I mean? I can make a bet. Just ask Jeremy, how long do you think it'll take to, for you to beat me in sim racing? No, see, I've actually know the answer to that. I'm not. <laughs> hey man, there's a count, there's a counter number of hours when you start playing. I think I'm up to 200 hours in the one game. We'll yeah. I'm less than I thought it was actually. That. Way below that. Let's I'm make in the 30, 40. I, I think I'm let's, at 40 hours. Let's make a plan where I'm looking where the 120 mark. So we need to sort of wrap this up. Let's uh, make a plan to all go play golf in the spring or in the summer. I bring my cigar somewhere. No, you can't. I think we should do a podcast after the golf. You can't smoke a cigar. We can't smoke. Not in the course? No, I'm saying you can't smoke a cigar. Oh, oh, wait a second. I don't know about that. I thought you were trying to cut down. Oh, I have cut down already. I haven't smoked a cigar. Are you you trying to stop? I thought you stopped. I, I effectively did stop. The last time I've smoked a cigar was... Maybe last November playing golf. Oh, wow. So I don't want to be the cause of you going back to smoke the cigar. Oh, that's my, no. That's I, not I don't, have saying that. That. don't have that type of personality. So I, I'm able to do one or two. Yeah, I, I won't go back. And honestly, it's, it's not for the reasons you probably think. It's because I know how much money I spend and I'm a cheap bastard. <laughs> I will second this motion. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... Spring or summer, we'll definitely go out and we'll and do it at least once, and then we'll just take it from there and see. Listen, I'm going to be playing regardless, so I'll squeeze you guys into my schedule. I think we can. I think I like Jeremy's idea of the podcast too. We could set up the lavalier microphones, like the wireless ones, and just record the whole freaking thing. Oh, we're going to oh record the whole fucking thing. Yeah. But we're going to, but we're going to pay someone to edit that one because there's no <laughs> way in hell I'm listening to six yeah. hours of these guys drinking and and, and playing. Maybe the people on here will, though. The only problem with that is that it won't be a lot of time that we're together. But it could be if we had... Wait a second. You mean you're not going to wait for us? No. What I'm saying is you on the tee, you're together. Mm -hmm. But once you hit, especially when you're not good, you're all over the place. Oh, no. You're you're on the left side, you're on the right side. Yeah. 
Yeah, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. But if we have the microphone and we get, we have earpieces and we can hear each other, then that would I be like comical. this idea. Then it would be comical. I'm thinking we could figure out that setup. Oh, no, I, I think we might need some people that are announcing the fun sitting on the sidelines. Oh, Twitch. Not just Twitch. Have some friends that are good at being oh, yeah. smart asses. Yeah. To be like, hey, well, there's John over there. He's trying to find his bulbs. Wait a second. Stuff. The spring. That's right after the Apple Vision Pro is out, isn't it? Try to bring it back to the Oh, my God. So uh, right. We do need a code. So, yeah. I think we're done. We're Thanks, done. everybody. Have it. a good night. Cheers. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. That wraps it up for this episode of the Surprise Multiplayer Podcast. As always, we thank you for listening and hope that you'll join us again soon. As a reminder, any feedback, suggestions, or questions can be sent to banterreviewcrew at surprisemultiplayer.com. Until next time, keep exploring and stay curious.